0: It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Giudice.
1: Welcome to another episode of your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice. My name is Tug Cowart. You're listening to Extra 1063. We're going to talk about a uh, pretty serious case that is involving a stay of execution in Texas. The legality of it, what happened, what caused it and what could uh, come from this day of execution. We'll talk about that in a moment with Bruce and Ray. But first, if folks need to get a hold of you, Bruce, how do they do it?
2: Yeah, great to be here again this morning. Um, If you need me for anything related to any personal injury claims, you can always reach me on my office line, which is 404-522-7553. It's monitored 24 hours a day, comes right to me. You can check out my website, hagen-law.com, that's H-A-G-E-N. Dash law dot com or email me, Bruce at Hagen dash law dot com. I'll uh, get right back to you on anything. And, uh, you know, if you can't find me uh, through social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, Google, everything, then you're just really not trying. <laughs> you're not,
3: you're not really looking. <laughs> what about you, Rick? Hey, you know, what I love about Saturday mornings is right about now, family members, loved ones are calling me on my cell, four oh four nine six four four one eight five, and say, Hey, daddy's in the Alpharetta lockup. Or, my key employee is down there in uh, Augusta or Savannah. Do you know somebody? Because of the fr- what we used to call the Friday night fights when I was a prosecutor. Right. Or the uh, liquored up or whatever it is. The activities that we're all doing again. And I uh, ask everybody to be really careful. Law enforcement is back out. Uh, they've got, they don't have a quota, but they've got to make some cases. Yeah, Come when on.
2: it's uh, Friday payday, uh, then Saturday <laughs> the becomes raised. Saturday, right. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday,
1: <laughs> I get it so this story i want to get into is i mean anytime you're talking about capital punishment it's a a serious story the supreme court halted an execution of a man in texas who was convicted of a 2004 murder at a corpus christi convenience store the crux of the situation is that he asked for a pastor to be able to come in hold his hand uh as he was given the lethal injection and he was denied that. So this stay of execution happened from the Supreme Court. Why did it happen that way? Because it seems obvious to me that, I don't know, I, maybe I'm a a guy that has a tender heart, but I, I think a man that's dying should be able to have someone that, that is of his faith stand there with him if they're willing to do
3: that. Well, a couple of things. Let's start off with for the squeamish or those against capital punishment, and that's fair. Uh, It seems like Mr. Ramirez really did stab the convenience store clerk 37 times, okay? It doesn't seem to be any alibi or DNA that we don't know who did it. So uh, in Texas, that's a death penalty case. He was convicted at trial. He's worked his ways up through the appeals. And now on the eve of his execution, his attorneys filed an emergency stay to the United States Supreme Court, which has allowed the states and the federal government, to uh, use the death penalty, although I think President Biden has now put a stop on the federal use of the death penalty, if that's my understanding, um, <clears throat> and has sort of left it to the states to do it 50 possible different ways, uh, with the with the with about the one limitation of cruel and unusual punishment or arbitrary punishment, capricious punishment, which is a never-ending, evolving definition. So in these cases involving ministers, the courts amongst the states and the supreme court has a little bit been all over the board on this uh, partly because i think the supreme court's attitude is to the states we let you do it but we're not going to run it it's mm-hmm. your deal try to do it right with the overall picture of capricious arbitrary and cruel and unusual
2: yeah and in this particular case you know the the challenge and, and the Supreme Court's intervention here has nothing to do with the underlying conviction, the crime Man, itself, right the trial, that, right? you know, uh, presumably all of those aspects have been thoroughly challenged already. Um, you know, this is one of the reasons you know it's interesting Uh, you talk to people about their feelings on death penalty and people are all over the place on it i i fall on the side where i'm against it just because well for several reasons but partly because i've seen the power of a lie in our judicial system and just how far that can go but i heard had one person tell me even just recently just that it's so expensive to execute somebody because by the time you run through all of these appeals, that, that even the cost, which we know it's expensive to house and feed a prisoner for the duration of their life if you give somebody life imprisonment, um, that's less expensive than the cost of dealing with you know, however many up and down appeals through the Supreme Court, uh, through the state Supreme Courts, uh, that, that it's a cost issue for them. And I thought, well, that's interesting because you'd think that you know, even after 15 years of, of appeals, at some point, you're terminating the life and terminating the case entirely, and that's going to be less costly than feeding somebody and housing them for for 50 years providing medical care. Mm-hmm. But but here, the sole issue is just you know in the manner of execution that if, if you're uh, not so much um, having cruel and unusual punishment in the manner of carrying out the execution, but that you're denying this person their First Amendment rights – um, because he can't express and practice his religion the way he would like to practice his religion, having a preacher there to lay hands on him uh, as he's dying. Um, you know, whether or not that's something that the state has violated, the court hasn't said. They just said that we need to look closer here because mm-hmm. it very well may be an infringement on a different constitutional right.
3: Yeah, and the court has said that uh, you can have a person of faith or your faith leader, minister, rabbi, Emin, in, the, in the death chambers with you. Pray with you beforehand. This case challenges Ramirez has gone next, another step through his counsel. I want him to touch me and hold me while I'm dying. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to criticize that. Uh, uh, and, and that's maybe a part of his faith is the laying of hands. I, I like the term that you used because that is important to certain, certain faiths. And, and I, I respect that. Now, the jail comes back and says, hey, you know what? We got some security issues here. Uh, we're putting a convicted murderer to death we've got people marching out in front of the jail with signs we've got witnesses from the media we've got this guy Pastor Jones that we don't know and he's come in and we've frisked him and patted him down and went through the metal detector but this is actually a a, a medical procedure we're gonna put some fluids in his veins I guess and kill him Uh, and we don't want physicality going on while we're
2: doing this. Suppose he, um, the, the guy who was convicted said, well, my church, uh, my personal religion involves worship of pamela anderson yeah and uh, right. i want pamela anderson there in the room to lay hands on me uh before i i or pass snake on handlers and, or something <laughs> or whatever you know um you you can't tell somebody how to practice religion either right mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. and what that entails so it really is a balancing act here and that and that's something that the courts do frequently when, when looking at competing constitutional rights um but this is one of those things that you know nobody on supreme court wants to have to step on it and step into this and they'd much rather just say Texas, you figure this out. you got all Mm. kinds of stuff going on down there. You figure this one out. Just try to do it in a way that um, can bring this thing to a conclusion
3: without having to involve yet another appeal. So basically the Supreme Court put a stay on the execution so that this matter can be litigated with briefs. There's a case that came up a few years ago out of the state of Alabama, which is also a death penalty state, in which case the prisoners had only been allowed to have Christian ministers— were jewish rabbis and a muslim individual who was being put to death wanted his spiritual advisor and uh, i know a little bit about the uh, state pen down at holman in alabama and the death row down there and they w- wouldn't allow it to happen and the supreme court says no no that's not yeah, fair right?
0: that's that's either obvious. all
3: in or not in but how do you far do you go i mean as bruce says i mean we we all pay tribute and respect what we consider to be the world religions uh, Muslim right. and, 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 Christianity and Christianity and Judaism and, Judaism and of probably a few more. Well, well maybe
2: but we look at it like uh, college football and just go with the power five of religion. <laughs> That's <you know>? right. <laughs> and if you're not
1: in the power five, we're yeah. not going to accommodate you in, in right. penalty. Right. Yeah, but, but 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 you say that in jest, but that, that may be something that they could. Well, they could, could but again, let's take and, a And I
3: d- I'm not going, I, I'm going to try not to insult anybody's faith here. It was not my intention. But let's say uh, some indigenous Native Americans. Mm hmm that have a uh, relationship or a faith toward a much more spiritual, not to a figure. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm trying to tread carefully because because it's not I my understand. area of expertise. Of course. Well that where do we go there? I mean right. and of course that's going to be a federal death penalty case potentially because the much of the Indian uh, land res- I hate to use the word reservations, but that's historically the word are federal territory or they're they're their own nation. So mm-hmm. These issues are really complicated. Uh, I want to address something Bruce said because I am basically, in my core, in favor of the death penalty, or I'm not against it. But as a practicing attorney who goes into the courthouses on a daily basis, the death penalty cases clog up the judicial system both in physical resources and financial resources, as Bruce alluded to earlier. If a Superior Court judge in the state of Georgia has a death penalty case – he or she has locked that courtroom down for maybe two months. They're not doing anything else. They're not hearing your divorce. They're not hearing your personal injury case, your son's first offender misdemeanor marijuana case, et cetera, et cetera. The courts back up. And then we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in litigation. That's at the court um, taxpayer's cost. These folks generally don't hire private attorneys on the death penalty cases or private attorneys are appointed by the courts, and we bill them for our hourly work. Mm-hmm. So it is a extremely costly. At the same time, I think Sirhan Sirhan should rot in prison, and should not be given parole for killing Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, Ethel think- Kennedy agrees with you. That's yeah. uh, yeah, so yeah, the only I've time I've that. ever agreed with the Kennedys in my life. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. It, it's a it's fascinating in 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 kind of a, a dark, morbid way, but you can't help. But it's like it's like a car wreck. Sometimes you can't help but look at it. And in cases like this, it's it's one of those for sure but uh, a, a lot of a lot of touchy sensitive information and and like i said trying to tread lightly and, and treat the conversation with respect and that's what we always want to do here and uh we'll definitely continue to do that but um when we come back we're going to talk about something that's been going on in the state of georgia there has been at least three da's relieved of their duty in the last year and two of them in the last couple of weeks what in the world is going on how do how do we uh, evaluate what's happening with the das throughout the state of georgia are they doing the right thing is there a greater issue what's going on we're going to try to answer that question or at least explore the answer to that question next on your day in court with bruce hagen and ray judiche here on extra 1063 download the extra 1063 app that's the best way to listen get that free for apple and android That way, if you have any sort of signal limitations or anything that's preventing you from listening, the app eliminates that altogether. It's right there on your phone, works with Apple CarPlay. It's easy done. And also, like I said, with Android as well. We'll be right back on your day in court on Extra 106.3
4: Wade Ford. We are Atlanta's Ford dealer. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice on
1: Extra 106.3. Welcome back to your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice. Tug Coward here on Extra 106.3. The next topic I want to dive into you, uh, dive into with you guys is the indictments of a couple Georgia district attorneys. It's happened twice in at least two weeks and maybe three times this year. There was one, the district attorney Mark Jones, who oversees the six county Chattahoochee Judicial Circuit, was indicted by a Muskogee County grand jury. The other is a former Glen County DA, Jackie Johnson. She was indicted last week for alleged misconduct in the aftermath of the Ahmad Aubrey shooting. She turned herself in to the Glen County Sheriff's Office. I'm just trying to wrap my head around what's going on with these DAs. Why is this happening so much? Is there more to it? What is it that I'm missing, Bruce?
2: Well, you know, it's it's a really really awful breach of the public trust when you have somebody who is the the top prosecutor in that jurisdiction that's being corrupt now is corruption among prosecutors a new phenomenon I have a very jaded opinion about prosecutors. I was raised by a criminal defense lawyer from a family of criminal defense lawyers. I mean, it's, I have a very jaded view of this, but you know, the integrity of the top prosecutor is paramount to our justice system, right? And so when you've got somebody who's willing to manipulate evidence, who's willing to pay witnesses, who's willing to bribe folks, and you're saying that you are entrusted with a position of incredible power, right? The power to take away somebody's freedom. That needs to be punished as harshly as imaginable. I don't think for a minute these are the first cases of prosecutorial misconduct that, were, that are existing in Georgia or anywhere for that matter. It's just that things come to light now. You know, mm-hmm. in, in 2021, it's really, really hard to keep a secret sure and is. to keep anything completely under wraps, whether it's just a matter of informants, which has always been the the main source of folks coming forward is, is have people there who have had something done wrong to them. They get themselves in trouble. Guess what? I can rat out somebody higher up the food chain than me. Um, but now there's just so much in terms of electronic surveillance and, and data and videos and everything else that it's really hard to hide yourself from the the light here. So I'm glad to see it. Ultimately, it's the state attorney general that's stepping in and doing something yeah, about this. Car. I hate to see that this is happening, but I'm glad to see that something's being done about it because the power that prosecutors have is largely unchecked except at the ballot box.
3: Yeah. And just as sort of, sort of the nuts and bolts of your day in court, Georgia has what, 159 counties going back to the old county unit rule that was a uh, used to dilute minority voting power back through many decades. There are not 159 separate district attorneys. Close to that, when you get out in rural Georgia, there's usually one district attorney that may have what they call the circuit of two mm-hmm. or three counties. But there's 130 or 140 elected district attorneys that are up for election every four years by the, by the citizenry. They make pretty good money, they have pretty good benefits, and they have a lot of power, as Bruce was alluding to, especially as you move away from the metro Atlanta, Metro Macon, Metro Athens. Because it's unchecked? Well, you yeah, and, and they are the source of not only law enforcement, through the sheriff's office, the county sheriff, but, but a lot of the resources, the jail, you know, who who gets to be on the bail bond list, okay? So here's a little thing many folks don't know. In each county, the high sheriff of that county who used to be the most powerful person in the county before the DA became so. The high sheriff gets to allow and certify which bonding companies can post your bond at the jail. Mm. And the high sheriff who's up for a re-election every four years may be willing to take a donation from said bonding company or not allow said bonding company who did not make a donation. I don't know. Or, or maybe
2: there's a brother-in-law that has an interest
3: in starting a bonding company uh, just and suddenly, right?
2: all of a sudden you're on the approved list and mm. nobody else
3: is. And the sheriff of each county gets to do the food staff and the laundry and all those little things that get Farmed out and folks make money off of, okay? So there,
2: there, there was a case about a corrupt sheriff not that long ago here in Georgia that was giving out contracts and getting kickbacks galore from all these vendors uh, right. at the prisons uh, that, that Ray's right. talking about, you know, and all these vendors at the jails that, you know, somebody's gotta feed them, somebody's gotta wash their clothes, somebody, somebody's gotta come clean up. Um, all these contracts were were being done in a way that allowed the sheriff to get money right back under the
3: table. But the district attorneys don't quite control that much of the cash flow, but they control the flow of justice. Now, I was a an intern, third year practice act at Emory Law School back in 1984, 85, And I interned at the public defender's office, and I was thinking about staying there for a job, and the chief public defender said, no, no, no. An honest prosecutor can do more justice than the best public defender, and that's because of the discretion that's involved in what to prosecute, what to charge someone with. Are there diversionary programs? Are there ways to give people a second chance? Or, quite frankly, is there enough evidence for at least the the level of probable cause needed for a warrant a grand jury indictment and a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt in front of a jury or judge. Yeah. And then,
2: and then there's the political pressure that comes along with it, too, which, you know, again, with uh, being in the age of social media is greater than it's ever been. So if there's anything that is even the slightest um, high profile case, um, you know, these folks are considering, all right, what's, what do I need to do to preserve my position at the polls here? Because I don't want to be challenged for this office in the next election. And uh, I need to be out fundraising at the same time I'm prosecuting. And so, you know, the opportunities for there to be conflicts of interest uh, are, are, just massive, um, so it's it's a very um, challenging spot. Look, out of, out of the 169 counties and the many prosecutors we have, I, I'm I, I'm a believer that most of them, the vast majority of them, dedicated, are honorable, and dedicated, yeah, and, and 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 are doing the job to the best of their ability. But I've seen firsthand instances where there's either ample evidence to prosecute, and for some unknown apparent reason, the case is not going forward. I've seen cases where there's no basis to prosecute. This is a case that's never going anywhere. And um, district attorneys sitting on these charges for years while the um, criminally charged defendant just twists in the wind um, their life is uprooted and, and ruined, waiting for some sort of justice on a case that sh- that never should have been brought or should have been dropped from the start. And yet a prosecutor hangs on to it for their own personal reasons, whether it's to appease the electorate, to appease a
3: donor, who knows what. And of course, the policies and procedures of the elected district attorney trickle down to the assistant district attorneys that I think in, in Fulton County, there's over 75 or 80 assistant district attorneys, just by way of example, because the DA gets to hire and fire who he or she wishes to within, you know, within merit rules yeah, with and things reason, like yeah. that. Sure. But also to set policy in this county, in my county, if you rob a liquor store, it's 20 to serve 10. Okay, that's, that's which is not unusual, armed robbery. Okay, okay? all right. Uh, but you know, if you've got an ounce of marijuana, we'll put you in a diversion program. I mean, they get to set the tone, and they also can challenge the judges. We've all seen, especially in local news after a verdict or a ruling by a judge that the D.A. doesn't like, and maybe it's for political reasons. You haven't seen the D.A. on the case until that day, and now he or she is standing in front of the courthouse steps with a blue suit on and an American flag pin on, railing against the soft judges and the, the liberal judges or the judge that doesn't know the or law. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, it's off to the chicken dinner to raise some money for the next, for the next campaign. So Bruce is right. There's a political aspect to this. they are good jobs. they are career jobs many prosecutors become the us attorney governors senators it's a it's a launching pad for many future politicians
2: and, and future defense lawyers as, as well. well you know we know a lot of uh, excellent criminal defense lawyers who did their first five or ten years or so or even longer working as a prosecutor they know the ins and outs of the system uh, because they've worked it uh, and then they decide that you know I th- the grass always looks greener these, these defense lawyers show up in much nicer suits than mm-hmm. I wear right. it seems like there's just unlimited amounts of cash that they're charging for fees while I'm working my salary and you know trying to uh, contribute to my 401k and make sure my health insurance premiums are covered there, there should be more here and they switch over to the other side and some of them do a great job. Some of them come to realize that, uh, yeah, it's a much harder job than I ever realized. Yeah,
3: the, the uh, printing press for the money, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the fancy cufflinks and watches. It's hard to run a practice, and some of them find that, out. and some are just great at it. And, and you're right. Um, I prosecuted for just two years in DeKalb County after law school, and I, it did help my practice because I knew everybody also got the chance to pick a lot of juries. Now, a lot of folks go into prosecution. For that, which is not, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're doing your job. But it's the best way to get a lot of trial experience. But again, let me just say this much: even even assistant district attorneys are you trying the case because that's what's just, or to get some trial experience against a really good lawyer, or to beat up a lawyer that you had an argument with, or don't like the way they, you know. So there's a lot of discretion. Sounds quite petty. That, well, it's or, or the there's potential. a lot of discretion. The there's a yeah. lot of discretion, and it requires people of high ethics high moral caliber, and leadership from the top from the elected district attorney of the county. Because young lawyers, you know, we can be stupid. We can do petty stuff. We can get get cranky just like any other person. But at the end of the day, the system and the defendant's rights and the rights of the state and the victim require much more maturity and level-headedness and and high levels of integrity. And we've seen two district attorneys here locally in Georgia that have— Strayed from those yeah. rules. Uh, yeah. One of the quotes in this uh, article f- from the AJC is from former uh, district attorney in DeKalb County, Bob Wilson, who I know and have so much respect for. And he just sums it up. He goes, If this is what, you know, this, we can't have this. That's this right. is not right. As Bruce said and earlier, we require, we need, we depend on our elected officials of all stripes and all positions, but especially the district attorney to be of the highest ethical and professional caliber.
1: You'd brought up before, Ray, about sometimes when lawyers, maybe they can't do legal work on their own in their own practice, and then they kind of lean on the judicial system to provide that job. Is that, do you see that permeating through any of this? Could that be a a cause for any of this?
3: Um, You know, it's hard to run a practice. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know it is. There's a lot of good lawyers who are not good business people. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, And there's a lot of good business people who are lawyers who maybe aren't great lawyers either. So uh, I wouldn't say that prosecutors are inherently afraid or un- incapable of practicing law in private practice and running a shop and having employees and paying the bills and getting the copier fixed. But what happens, I think, is once you—and again, I did only did it for two years. Right. But when, when the government itself takes care of all of your needs, you know, there's legal pads and there's secretaries and paralegals, and all you do is come in and focus on your cases, That's you can get used to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can get real used to yeah. that.
2: You know, one of the recent indictments, too, had to do with um, the Ahmad Arbery um, investigation. Such a sad Um, case. And the the DA had already been voted out of office, I think largely because of the handling of that case. case. But the issue there was that, you know, one of the guys accused of um, killing Ahmad Arbery had been a former investigator within the DA's office. And when this happened, she intervened and, and told the police do right. not arrest this man. Right, and so you know that she's charged with obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows if she would have been charged had she remained in office as DA? I'd like to think that the facts the facts are the facts, regardless of whether you were the DA. Uh, at the time of being charged. You know, she was the DA at the time of the act itself. Um, but, you know, again, it's another example of somebody just overstepping their bounds because they, they have largely unchecked power. Uh, and, and so, it, you know, much different than this situation here with, um, you know, the bribery of these um, witnesses here and fellow officers within the office.
3: Well, in the first case, I do think that her defense is going to be, it was within my discretion. Not to have him arrested at this time until we, A, completed our investigation, presented it to a grand jury. So I think she's got some defenses. It looks, you know, it doesn't pass the smell test, but that doesn't mean it's a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt. Our our second example of prosecutorial <laughs> stupidity is a, a local DA who was actually, they call it a bribe, uh, but he's encouraging finan- with financial incentives his assistant district attorney prosecutors, to try certain trials that they didn't feel ethically, morally, or professionally there was enough evidence to secure a conviction. And I think, quite frankly, I think that's outside of his discretion, and I don't think that will be a defense.
1: Is that the guy that that he was offering them $1,000? Yeah. Uh, I mean, who is going to take $1,000 to risk their entire career? That just seems like— Right. Like, what— Who's trying to bribe somebody with a thousand dollars? I mean, really? I mean, it's it's do as be, simple do as better, that. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, yeah do, if you're yeah. gonna try, I spent three,
3: I spent three years at Vanderbilt Law School, and, and now I'm gonna take a grant to to try an <laughs> armed robbery case. You know, I, I, I hate to say it, but uh,
2: you know, I've represented more than ten thousand clients over the year. That's not the part I. I hate to say, but you know, you represent enough people in personal injury claims and and people from all walks of life. You're going to get some folks who are just perpetually dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just with me and the services from my firm. They're perpetually dissatisfied with everything. Mm-hmm. And so I've I've had a client in the past accuse me of selling them out to the insurance company. You know, and 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 this is a common thing we hear that you all are in this together. You know, what? it's like, I'm, uh, how, why would you say that? I, I'm yeah. completely on your side. I say, like, I know you sold me out to the insurance. Company. I said, let me ask you a question: How much you think you're worth yeah, right? <laughs> to to sell you out? I said, so I went so I to law school law for license. three years. Yeah, right. I've got I put my law. Do you think I'm putting my law license on the line to sell you out in your thirty five hundred dollar case where you went to the chiropractor six times yeah. and never went back a uh, uh, and, at the Kroger. And, and, and right. somehow
3: or another, you're supposed to get a hundred thousand dollars out of this case. So, Tug, okay. so, here's a warning shot for okay. signal for all lawyers client comes to your office and they have a file that they're carrying in that's uh-huh. almost two years old statute of uh-huh. limitations is running and they've already been released or fired three prior lawyers and I find out who they I want to see who the lawyers are because that means a lot to me And I'm like you fi- you had three of the best lawyers in <laughs> Metro Atlanta <laughs> right. drop you like a hot rock yeah I'm not signing a contract. Yeah. There's Why the door. You? Besides, you were able to walk in here on your own power, so it's not good enough. <laughs> <cases>. <laughs> I need you to be rolled in, oxygen, yeah, or I'm so coming down to the hospital to and the hospital the and hospital say, and right, see you. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, that's funny. There, there was a guy um, who was scamming lawyers, um, and uh, he was calling them up and claiming that. I'm at Grady Hospital. Mm-hmm. I've been hit by a truck. Tractor trailer. Tractor trailer. Or, you know, it, it, it was either a Walmart or Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola truck, uh, right? Something that would so get attention. I, I mean, just, I've just, i just had surgery because yeah. uh, it's emergency surgery, and, I, and I'm in room so-and-so, and uh, I need you to come down here and talk to me right now. And so one by one, every lawyer in Atlanta that he's calling is coming down there, and, and it was typically, um, can you go down to the vending machine and grab me a Coke and a Milky Way bar before we come in here? Uh, and, and then, you know, of course, happy to you know give you yeah. something here. You'd come in with your Coke and Milky Way bar, and and, um, and then it's like I uh, need hundred dollars. I need a hundred dollars. and, yeah. and, and, and th- this person and, and you know look, we lawyers all talk and you come to realize like this guy's doing it one by one everybody. with everybody, and and you know we're all suckers uh, with with the same sort of bait. If you are fishing fishing for a personal injury lawyer, you know the kind of bait I, I will dangle. say that
3: uh, now now as a baby prosecutor, our office in DeKalb County, we had a, a disincentive program program of shame okay if you lost a trial as a prosecutor in our office that you should have won by all facts and and circumstances you had to have the bottle of shame in your office for the (laughs) next month it was an empty body bottle of Nitti wine (laughs) that you had to keep on your desk and explain to everybody that came to your office for the next month how you earned (laughs) and if you lost (laughs) to a pro se or an intern you had to have two bottles. Oh, wow. White <laughs> and red. A, a oh. pro se means uh, someone who the represents themselves. Right. Uh, okay. So, okay. So they, don't, they don't use the lawyer.
1: But, you know, it, it, it's... <laughs> you can't lose that to yeah, that guy. You can't. But, okay. you know,
2: it's, it's again, talking about the discretion that prosecutors mm-hmm. have, right? They have the discretion to decide what cases they want to try and what cases they want to uh, drop or plead out, you know? And, and um, you you should almost be undefeated as a prosecutor. There, there's, there's really almost no reason for you to lose... Ninety nine percent of trials, the trials, you get to fight. pick the fights, right. and and no. it's like if you're if you're lacking the evidence, if you don't have reliable witnesses, if the laws you know not on your side, why would you try that case? And you and they're the ones who
3: absolutely have the ability to say, I'm going to drop these charges. No, no, worse. Now here, here, and I agree with what you're saying, Bruce. But here's the real problem. I'm a prosecutor. I don't have enough evidence to, to get a conviction, but what I'm going to do is drop it down from a felony to a misdemeanor. I'm going to give you twelve months probation. Thousand dollar fine plus court costs, one hundred and fifty hours of community service. See if you've got the you know what's right to turn that down because maybe I will put you on trial. Oh wow, that's where the power is. What to initially charge? So sometimes I get an indictment, and it's a four page indictment, and I know why because they're trying to, the prosecutors saying, "Yeah, well maybe we can get you on A, B, and C." But maybe you'll plead to D, E, and F mm-hmm. because we're right. going to work you right. And, and and again, is that unethical? I don't think so. It's the it's the the tools of the trade and the imbalance of power that exists in the system. Right. But if you don't think you can prosecute D, F, and G, mm-hmm. then then you should drop. It. And, but, and, but and that's criminal, where the scary part yeah, is. Yeah.
2: And as a criminal defense lawyer, you know, we can counsel a client mm-hmm. and say, look. They're never going to get a conviction on this case. They're not going to get you. We're going to win this case. But if you're wrong, <laughs> you know, I, you go home at night yeah, and, right. and, 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 and your doesn't. client doesn't. And, yeah. and so, you know, you, you can't judge the folks who plead guilty to these lesser charges just to avoid that
3: risk of having their life completely destroyed. It's hard to uh, walk y- away from those kind of deals. And what the state is counting on, okay, we'll give you 36 months probation. We'll see if he trips up, test positive when we call him in for his THC urine analysis. Which I hate to say it. If you represent a, a young man under thirty, they're not going thirty-six months without smoking marijuana. I, I, I'm I'm not picking on anybody. I I'm sixty-three years old, so I. I have friends that went to Woodstock. Okay, yeah, yeah, I sure get so. it. Yeah. Not against it. Yeah, but if it's a condition of your probation, you better be. It doesn't matter it. <laughs> if it's legal in Arizona. Right, okay, I and mean, right. we're in Georgia. Yeah,
2: and, and you know, in the personal injury cases that I handle, you know, I can tell clients to turn down settlement offers and mm-hmm. let's take it to trial and try to do better. Um, ultimately, it's just money. Right. And and sometimes that money is life changing for folks. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's just money. It's not mm-hmm. your freedom to, right. to um, go home at night. And so uh, it's a big issue. And, and yeah, I, I can I can sit there and bow up, which I do frequently. It's like we're going to fight this case. We're taking it all the way to trial and we'll get more money typically on the eve of trial. But you look, a lot of times we get our day in court because that's just the way it is. Um, in a criminal defense situation, uh, it, again, the the balance of power is so much different. You may say, "Don't plead guilty to this misdemeanor. We're going to fight it to the very end." You just watch; they'll drop the charges. But you could be
1: wrong. Absolutely. And, and even and, if you're ninety nine percent positive, yeah, that one percent right, right. can come and, get and, you. And
2: so you know, it it takes. Look, there there's a reason. Um, sadly, that there's a high degree of alcoholism drinking, among, drinking right among trial lawyers, <laughs> uh, and it's because you have to make these very difficult decisions uh, and deal with some really tough um, scenarios. I, I remember um, counseling this one family who had a 19 year old daughter killed in a fire at an apartment complex, uh, and other very serious injuries, and and you know, telling them we need to turn down this this offer. It's it's Insultingly low, uh, and the law is on our side. Um, and as we got further down into the case, it's, it's sort of like all right, you realizing, Hey, look, I'm I'm doing a tightrope act here, and and mm-hmm. and you know that sort of um, responsibility to to a client is an enormous burden, and it's one we take on willingly, um, but but it's exhausting
3: emotionally, that and uh, it, it really can crush some people. To loop back to a prior show that we did talking about mediation in civil cases, personal injury cases. That is a tool that helps resolve some of the close issues because people kind of get to vent and talk and understand what the strengths and weaknesses are. In criminal defense law, we don't get much of that. Now Mm -hmm. we do have what's called a motions practice. So we'll file a motion for probable cause, search, illegal search and seizure, the warrant. And a lot of times when I'm doing that, of course it's a meritorious motion. I want every judge that's hearing this to know that. But I've got another thing I'm trying to do is A, weaken up the state's case. Maybe trip up the officer, or maybe the officer made some mistakes that give me some negotiating power. And sometimes it's to show my client, hey, that's a really good officer. Yeah. I read the report and looked at the video. He crossed his T's and dotted his I's, and he's got all the training, and he showed up in his uniform. And the jury's going to convict you, most likely. So here's a here's a little window into what yeah. the future looks
1: right. like. Right. That's mm-hmm. interesting. That, that's, that's terrific. And that's the insight you get on the show that I don't think you'd get anywhere else. It's your day in court. With Bruce Hagen and Ray Giudice, when we come back, we have an update on the Marcelo Zuna case. What does it mean for Marcel? What does it mean for the Braves? Could he play for the Braves again? We'll tell you next on Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagen and Ray Giudice on Extra 106.3
4: Wade Ford. We are Atlanta's Ford dealer. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan
0: and Ray Judice on Extra
1: 106.3. Welcome back. Final segment of your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart. You're on Extra 106.3. The final story we're going to cover today is uh, something that happened that affects The team that basically I can look out the window and see the stadium, the Atlanta Braves, Marcelo Zuna, who was charged with domestic violence, has agreed to complete a family violence intervention program and anger management. What does that mean? For Ozuna, what does that mean for the Braves? What does that mean for the everyday Joe that finds themselves in a, maybe a situation like this, unfortunately?
3: Well, we started off with him being charged with a felony, a felony domestic violence. Uh, The accusation was that when law enforcement arrived, Ozuna had his wife pinned up against the wall, holding her by the throat, Mm -hmm. and allegedly there were body cam evidence. It came back and forth that she had committed an act of violence against him some months or years earlier in another state, and that she still loved him, and they wanted to reconcile and raise the children nicely and properly. And so you could see as a criminal defense lawyer where this was going. First step was to downgrade it from a felony domestic violence to a misdemeanor domestic violence simple battery. And now under Fulton County rules or basically procedure, if if this is your first misdemeanor domestic violence charge, you are eligible for their diversion program. Would this apply to the regular Joe? The answer is yeah. Okay. yeah. The, yeah, the answer mean, is cer- yes.
2: Certainly, Marcelo Zuna is a wealthy person, right? He's he's made a lot of money as a baseball player. He's under a contract right now that's going to pay him Betty, Betty, a Betty, lot good of to money for the,
3: the next <laughs> two years. But, but
2: this is exactly the same sort of a deal that would have been available to an indigent person off of the street okay. who had nothing in their pocket. This is an example of kind of like what we were talking about earlier when the charges were reduced from felony to misdemeanor. We are talking about prosecutorial. Discretion, mm-hmm. the prosecutors when they really dove into what the evidence wa- uh, was and what was there realized that we can't pursue this as a felony. There's there's no substance to this. Mm-hmm. we will never get a felony conviction. This is a this case belongs in the lower court as a misdemeanor. And and once it's in that court as a misdemeanor, this is. The kind of deal that a good lawyer like Ray is going to get for their clients. Not that Ray was Ozuna's lawyer, but no, you know, but this is what good lawyers similar, do for their it? clients: is that you you get them this. And now there are conditions that Ozuna will be required to uh, comply with. And you know, he's got roughly sixty five million reasons to be compliant uh, mm-hmm. because he's still due a lot of money from the Braves. And whereas there, you know, had he been convicted or pleaded guilty to these felony charges that he faced initially. There's a very strong likelihood there that the Braves could have avoided that contract, said that, you know, this violates a morals clause under our contract or we're just we're just not going to pay you and give you the privilege of receiving this money under our contract um, because of your criminal acts. Now, he's going to be entitled to receive the money under his contract. I think this clears the path for him to either return to the Atlanta Braves if they want him back, certainly clears the path for him to return to Major League Baseball
3: because some team will want him back. So the actual impact of this, once he completes the conditions of the sentence, which are the 24-week anger management family violence classes, anger management classes, a psych eval, 200 hours of community service, there's probably some court costs and fines involved, and... I'm sure, without even looking at it, that his lawyer, or at least any good lawyer, would have had him starting on these things months ago. This incident allegedly happened in May. I would have had him in the anger management class. I would have had him starting community service or videotaping messages about family violence to the community so that when you go to negotiate with the prosecutor— You already have some things in hand Mm -hmm. that say, hey, look, we're willing.
1: And I'm taking this serious.
3: We're taking it seriously. We don't have to be ordered by the court. We're being proactive. And also, look, once you've done the first 100 hours of community service, you get the next 100. You're more likely to get the next 100 done Mm -hmm. than a person who comes to court and hasn't even started, doesn't know what a 501c3 is, doesn't know what to do. So I always like to, if we've got a first offense DUI that's going to be a plea— I want that 20-hour DUI school done. I want the clinical eval done. I want the community service started. And you'd be surprised. It sounds so simple. Two in 50 cases have done anything before they come wow. to court. And it frustrates the judges. The probation officers have 300, 400 files you Come in with everything done, they're like, Oh, you're gonna be easy. I can focus on these idiots that don't do what I tell yeah. them to do.
2: Well, and it's also easier for a guy like Marcelo Zuna, who doesn't mm-hmm. have a nine to five job, he hasn't worked, he hasn't uh, pitched all year, <laughs> right? He, you know, he's, he's not getting dressed and go down to the ballpark, who knows what he's doing, but he certainly has the time to be compliant with his lawyer's recommendations. That you know, I need you to go down to the recycling center and spend mm-hmm. have the yeah, humanity, this, this day right? separating the green glass bottles from the clear glass bottles and
3: get a note at the end of the day to record your hours. And once he gets all this done, and I will say the 200 hours that he's been uh, agreed to do is higher than standard, just so you know. I, I will That's say interesting. That it's generally around 50, but... Okay, I tell him I look at my clients. Yeah, and say, yeah, yeah just as Bruce said, yeah. said okay. So that's another few Saturdays yeah. get her get her done. Yeah, you know? and some places will give you two for one hours and uh, things Shh. like Bruce that. Bruce on the two for one. There are certainly a- um, <laughs> yeah, right. the places, places that are, are more right. generous uh, than others. Well, they round up. Let's just say that. <laughs> but, but but here's the thing. Here's where it really kind of, as Bruce alluded to, when he successfully completes this, this case is not only closed; it will not be a conviction.
1: Oh wow! He will
3: not have been convicted. Is this final disposition, not convicted. Possibly the record may even be sealed. Now, of course, this is out there in yeah, uh, this is very the ether sphere, the Al Gore internet. So it'll never go away. But going back to his contract, now let's say the Braves or Major League Baseball tries to invoke a morals clause. He can say, what, what? I'm not convicted? Go ahead. Don't pay me. I'll see you in court. And this may be one of those where the team
2: and or Major League Baseball might just say, we're willing to take a chance on this remaining amount of money under your $65 million contract because this stuff matters more to us that we Mm -hmm. draw this bright line in the sand that we're not going to tolerate even the slightest appearance of domestic abuse because our commitment to women matters more yeah. right it may and i think very likely will be the opposite where it's like hey We said we were going to let the justice system run its course. We've done that. This man has largely been exonerated, has agreed to um, take his medicine for what he's done, and he's cleaned himself up, and so he's welcomed back into our sport because he's atoned for his sins. You know, here we are on the eve of uh, Yom Kippur for our Jewish listeners, right? We're all all about the Day of Atonement. Marcelo Zuna has has wiped the slate clean, assuming he completes all this, and I think he's going to be welcomed back not just to baseball but to the Braves, especially— if in 2022 we're looking at a designated hitter in the National League where you've got room now on the roster for Marcella Zuna and uh, Duval, and you're going to have 190
1: home runs in your outfield, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting because the, I, I agree with you on the Major League Baseball. I'm not so sure on the Braves. Just I, just something sure. I don't know.
2: Well that's always been their their right. Um, that's kind of their MO to say we want to be the cleanest organization yeah. possible. Liberty Media may want nothing to yeah. do with it, they may that's get pressure the only thing. That's and, right. at a national level from women's groups and, and that and they and they are big enough to say that sixty five million, we don't care yeah. about that. Yeah, we absolutely. care more about I venture to say uh, he will
3: be playing major league baseball next year. Maybe not for the Braves, but, but another organization. I will say one thing. If this was your family member, this gentleman and let's say he worked at the GE plant or, mm-hmm. or Southern Railroad or any other place right. and they wouldn't allow him back. You would say, he's atoned for his sins. That's he right. did what the court I asked him to do and why are you trying to ruin his life? Right. As a very good judge and a dear friend of mine said one time uh, when he sentenced people, he would say, every priest has a past and every sinner has a future.
1: Uh, hear, hear,
3: And I think that uh, whether you're a person of deep personal faith or not, uh, if he has done what the court system has asked them to do, and again, this is exactly in line in fact, a little more punishment and certainly some media shame that that he's gone through. Um, again, if it was my baseball team, I'd have to think about it. It'll be up to the Braves, but I believe he'll be playing Major League Baseball next spring.
1: I think we're all in agreement there. This yeah, is it, your, oh, it, I was going to say, ahead. if
2: nothing else, you know, he, they, they're at least in a position to now trade him, trade him and, and get yeah. something back in return. Yeah. You know, let, let, let the fallout of whatever may come from his conduct be some other team's problem, but the Braves are in a position to at least really say, all right, we'll take back some young prospects and see what happens.
3: And let's hope that this is the first step the reconciliation of this family. Yeah, I mean, let's, yes. let's look at the big picture. There's yeah. a couple of kids that's involved most, here. That's the most important. Um, maybe we can make it better for them.
1: There you go. This is your day in court on Extra 106.3. Wrap it up. Quickly, Bruce, folks need to get a hold of you. How do they do it?
2: 404-522-7553. Bruce at hagen-law.com. Uh, whatever you need for your personal injury case, if you just have questions or even a recommendation for something that we don't handle, just happy to help with uh, whatever it is our listeners need. We're there uh, 24-7 to respond, and so uh, hope to hear from you. Let us know you're a listener.
3: Yeah, 404-964-4185. That's my cell phone, or G-I-U-D-I-C-E. Google it. And there's uh, only two of us, Ray Giudice and Teresa Giudice, and we're not related.
1: That's right. I, and I actually like you. I'm not, I'm not so sure <laughs> I like her <laughs> or, or any of those reality star show people. But anyway, this is your day in court. Give these guys a call if you need your help. They will give you expert advice. My name is Tug Coward. Hope you have a great Saturday. This is Extra 106.3
4: Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated
3: myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster.
1: Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan Wives Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia.